encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the 119th Psalm, and if you would, find verse 37, Psalm 119, verse 37. Appreciate you so much for making it a priority to be in the house of the Lord today. If you're watching this online today, thank you so much for being with us, and know that we love you, and we're grateful to God for all of you, and we're just thankful that you took the opportunity to be a part of worship at Heflin Baptist Church this morning. Psalm 119. We started this year in the 119th Psalm back on January the 5th, I believe. And we made it through the first 36 verses before the pandemic kind of changed everything about what we were doing and how we were headed. And uh, it's changed more than we can probably recognize about our life. But as we get to this point of the year, the Lord really stirred my heart about returning to this chapter and just regaining a focus on the Word of God and the impact that this Word has on our lives. Psalm 119, verse 37. If you found your place in physically able, stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word. Psalm 119, verse 37 through 40. Here's what the Word of God says. It says, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach which I dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, may the Son of God be glorified today through the faithful proclamation of the gospel. May our lives be changed, may our hearts be turned toward you, and may we leave this place living differently as a result of being under the influence of the Word of God today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I'll uh, remind you, I was told them in the first service, I used my glasses to read and stuff now, but after I read and begin to move around, these progressive lenses take a little getting used to. I've never had lenses before, but they tell me I'll get used to them in a year or two. And uh, But I told them all they do is progressively make me dizzy. And so I, I have to just use them sparingly at this point. So I'm learning a, a new normal there too. But today I want to speak to you about the pathway to abundant life. If you'll remember from our earlier studies of the 119th Psalm, we learned that the 119th Psalm, of course, is the longest uh, chapter in the Bible, not just in the book of Psalms. It's 176 verses. It's broken down into 22 different stanzas. Each one of those stanzas is eight verses long, and each one of those begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is 22 letters, different from our English alphabet, which is 26, of course. I know all of you remember that. But this stanza, verses 33 through 40, is one where the psalmist shares his total commitment to the Lord and his word. There's some key words that we read just a moment ago in verses 37 through 40. When we read the words like turn, the word establish, behold, and revive. Each one of those words is key to the understanding of this psalm and this passage, and they all indicate a desire to live an obedient and faithful life before the Lord. 
I believe we all really want that to be our testimony. And I believe that the Word teaches us today how that desire can become a reality. In describing this section, one of my favorite Bible teachers and commentators that I was introduced to about 22 or 3 years ago, Dr. John Phillips, who's with the Lord today, when he wrote about this stanza of Psalm 119, he said this about it. He said there are four portraits of the man of God in this stanza. One is the portrait of a sojourner. One is the portrait of a soldier. Also, we find the portrait of a servant. And then finally, we find the portrait of a saint. See, as a sojourner, the man of God realizes that he's a traveler. He's a stranger and a pilgrim in this world. He does not have a home, but thank God he's headed home. Amen? This is not our home. We're just passing through. The sojourner, the pilgrim, or the stranger, he desires to be faithful throughout his journey, and he wants to be completely devoted to the Lord. As a soldier, the man of God realizes that he's to keep his life in line with the Word of God, and in doing so, there will be a struggle. It, it, there will constantly be a battle between the flesh and what the Spirit of God desires for you to do. As a servant, the man of God must imitate the purpose of the ministry of Jesus, which Jesus spoke to us about in Mark 10, 45, where he said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then as a saint, the man of God remembers the price that was paid for him to become a child of God. And because of that great price, he desires to live a holy life before the Lord. Jesus spoke about abundant living in John 10, 10, where he said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. See, even though Jesus came to bring abundant life, often God's people, I'm not speaking about the unbelieving world, I'm talking about people who profess to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus and be children of God, often we settle for filling our lives with temporary pleasures that are void of lasting joy and peace. We look for what gratifies us momentarily instead of what honors God eternally. So the psalmist begins to describe this pathway today. And we're going to walk this thing together through this text today because it's one that can lead us to experience, embrace, and enjoy the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. The first part of that path begins with a direction for the future in verse 37. When we read about this, we find in verse 37, he asked God to turn, turn him. It's used twice in this passage. And the psalmist is seeking for the Lord to do something radical in his life. He's expecting God and asking God to pull him away from the natural desires of the flesh that he might discover and that he might chase after his eternal purpose. So when we do that, we notice he begins talking about where his attention is focused. We're going to talk about two words here on direction. The first is attention. Now I know what I'm about to tell y'all is going to be shocking and y'all probably not going to, y'all probably going to gasp when I tell you this. But most of my life, most of all my life that I can remember, and even to this day, I struggle with attention deficit disorder. 
I see the gas going across the thing. Everybody, Rusty's going, ain't no way, right? I mean, I can remember as an athlete, I was privileged to be a team. I was no good, but I was on the team. And I was a center. And there were times the quarterback would tell me the snap count in the huddle, and I'd have to ask him on the way to the line of scrimmage. Now, what was that snap count? I'm telling you. I mean, I, it, was, it was dangerous for me to be responsible for that. So anyhow, but I remember well of trying to read or trying to do things. And when, when I was coming up, they didn't call it attention deficit disorder. Now, I'm telling you all, and this is not something I dreamed up, I've certified, I've been tested and been diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. Now, I don't take medicine for it, of which most of you think you should, uh, but anyhow, I probably should. But nevertheless, I can remember, you know, when we were coming up, it wasn't that that boy has an attention deficit. It was that that boy just needs another good whooping is what he needs. If he can get one more, he'll straighten up. But, I mean, I can remember just drifting, my mind drifting. I can remember being in elementary school, even in high school, just drifting, just thinking about all these other things other than what I should have been thinking about. Well, you know, that was during those times I can remember trying to, like, read a page, and I would not be able to remember what I read because my mind would be so many different directions, and I struggled with that, and God has helped me tremendously, but it is still a real struggle. But this verse right here speaks directly to our need to establish and maintain focus on the Lord and His Word. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 141, verse 8. He says, But my eyes are upon you, O, o God the Lord. In you I take my refuge. This is something that's really helped me along the journey is, is that when I began to struggle with wandering and thinking about and, and, and drifting, taking refuge in God is a help. Now here's what Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 26. My son... Give me your heart. Oh, that's the key right there. Give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Solomon, the wisest man apart from Jesus ever lived according to the scriptures, he's saying, Son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. See, our attention must be focused on the word of God and not only the word of God, but the God of the word. And I believe because we where we look in life and where we focus our attention will always be responsible for shaping the way we live. A wise man told me years ago, I think I read it in Howard Hendricks' book, Teaching to Change Lives. He said this, he said, your life is shaped by three things. It's shaped by the people you meet, the places you go, and the books you read. I, like I told you, I struggled with reading because I would get so frustrated. And if you live with someone or love someone who has an attention deficit deal, it's frustrating to you because they get sidetracked a lot. But can I tell you that it's also very frustrating to the person that's dealing with that? It certainly is. And I would get frustrated and I would just stop reading because I could not comprehend and remember what I read because my mind was going so many places. Sometimes I believe Christian people struggle with spiritual attention deficit disorder. We are unable to focus on God's Word and the Word of God and the God of the Word because we've got so much activity and so many things going on in our mind that we're unable to focus on what God is trying to teach us. 
The people you meet will shape your life. Many, I always say this, everybody comes into your life is either a blessing or a lesson. Amen? Anybody had any blessings? Amen? Anybody learned any lessons? All right? Okay, me too. And I used to think, wonder sometimes, God, why did you let some of these mean people into my life? They're supposed to love Jesus. They're supposed to be, I mean, why? But God allowed those things to happen to me to teach me lessons that I could learn for future growth and maturity in the ministry. Very important. So people, places we travel, things that affect us. Well, I'd never seen those Wasatch Mountains till we went to Salt Lake City the first time. And I remember the first morning I got up and looked up out the window and saw those snow-covered Wasatch Mountains, and I thought to myself, there's not a more beautiful mountain in the world. There's nothing more beautiful under heaven. And so I said to some of the local people there, I said, do y'all ever get tired of seeing that? Do you ever get tired and take for granted? And, the, and our tour guide, our, our North American Missionary, missionary, he said to me, he said, I've been here five years and I never get tired of looking at that. It shapes us the places we go. And not only that, he said, the books we read, it's very important. Howard Hendricks again taught me this, and it's really stirred in my heart as God moved me forward in ministry. He said, if you're going to be a leader, you've got to be a reader. If you're going to teach and lead people you cannot give out what you have not taken in. And if you stop reading today, you really stop teaching tomorrow. You might try to continue to teach out of some reservoir of something you've built up over the years, but that becomes a dry, stagnant pool. You need to be a flowing stream, and you need to constantly be taking in so you can give out. Very important. See, the psalmist realized his own tendency to drift and wander. Hebrews chapter 2, the first four verses talk to us about the danger of drifting. And so many people are drifting today. When the things in this world that are going on ought to be drawing us closer to Christ and the cross, people continue to drift. We're all prone to wonder. You do know that, don't you? The great hymn writer Robert Robinson who wrote Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, he wrote about that in a portion of that song where he said this, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The hymn writer understood. The scripture writers understand. The psalmist is telling us we're all prone to wonder. We're all prone to stray. So the key to keeping our attention fixed on the Lord is right back there in Proverbs 23, 26 that I read earlier where Solomon said, give me your heart. How important is where your heart is? Well, Jesus had something to say about that in Luke 12, 34 where he said this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, over 30 years ago, I gave my heart to my precious wife. And can I tell you, she still gets my attention. Are y'all okay? It's all right. It's okay for the preacher to like his lady. Amen. Hey, she still gets my attention. Yesterday we was watching a ball game. Y'all do know there was a ball game on this week. Okay, I was watching a ball game. And she just, I mean, we were just homely folk. I mean, we were just at home with nobody but me and mama. And, uh, man, I thought, boy, she sure is pretty. And I'm just grateful to God that she still gets my attention. Now, let me say this to you. When it comes to the Lord, 
What about how he gets your attention? Because he will either get your attention by speaking to you through this word, by guiding you by his Holy Spirit, or he may be forced to get your attention in ways you never, ever wanted. Not only does he speak about attention, but he speaks about attraction. See, when our heart's not fixed on the Lord, our minds and thoughts and eyes begin to do the same. Here's what the psalmist did. He was very direct in asking the Lord. He said, Lord, take my vision away from worthless things. Wow. Hmm. Kind of reminds me of a time years ago. This is going to be another shocking fact about my life, y'all. I am not a Black Friday shopper. I stand, I take my hat off, put my car with I am not, a, I'm not a really, I'm not really a shopper at all. When I go to the store, have y'all seen the little diagrams? When a man goes to the store, he goes in, point A, point B, he picks up what he wants, he checks out, he leaves. When his wife and daughters go in the store, they go point A, point B, point C, point D, point E, point E, F, G, H, they just go all over the store, and then finally leave hours later with what they first picked up when they went in. I'm not a Black Friday shopper, so years ago my girls talked me into going with them one time. Daddy, it'll be fun. We have the best time. So we lived in a little community called Taylorsville, Georgia, population 402, and when we left it went down to 398. But anyhow, 402 Taylorsville, Georgia, and we were in a triangle there between Rockmark, Cartersville, and Rome, Georgia. And um, out in the middle of the country, we, we loved it. But anyhow, they finally built a Walmart there at Rockmark, seven miles from us. So they said, we'll just go down there, 6 o'clock on Thanksgiving night day. They're going to have, oh, they, it's going to be fun. So I said, you know what, I, I, I'll go because it's not far from the house. I can walk home if I have to. <laughs> so, yeah. so I get there, and I thought, well, I'm just going to watch how these people do. And there were people huddled up around some of these special deals that they had. And then one thing was a camera, and over here were some printers and some other electronics things. Electronics seemed to be the thing people wanted most. And the girls had told me, said, Mama wants this camera. It's a very expensive camera, but it's on sale for $79, Daddy. She would just be so excited to get her that camera for Christmas. So I was going to wait and see if there might be a possibility I'd get one of those cameras. But I watched these boys, and they had this stuff wrapped off like in crime scene tape. <laughs> and they needed that because it was fixing to be a crime scene. But anyhow... They had it wrapped off, and uh, when they finally cut that tape and told the people that they could go in there and get this stuff, there were some old boys had a strategy. I mean, you, I mean, they had a better game plan in Alabama. I'm telling you, they went out there, and they sent this old boy in, and he grabbed them first, them printers, and he started chunking them over his head. And back over here was somebody catching kickoffs, okay? He, and he'd catch them, and he'd pitch them to another. They were like, they had an assembly line, them things going out the door. I mean, they had a plan. But something went wrong because the guy up front, I called him the quarterback, the quarterback made a bad read, and he threw the box, and he didn't get it up high enough, and hit this lady right in the head. Y'all ever been hit in the head of the corner of a printer box? Can you imagine what that felt like? Sit popped her in the side of the head, and she starts going, ah, and can't stand behind her. It was her husband, and he defends his lady's honor. And next thing you know, him and this guy's scrapping it out, and the police get in. The whole time, I'm just watching like, I've seen people just grabbing and snatching for stuff. And all of a sudden, when the dust settled and the smoke cleared, I went over to where those cameras were that people were fighting over for a few minutes ago. There were still a hundred of them left. 
And I just walked over. Nobody fought me. Nobody beat me up. I didn't get handcuffed, nothing. I just took, and I went on. I thought, wow. And the more I thought about that this week, I thought about how people get so worked up over worthless things. Because that's been seven or eight years ago, and I would guarantee you that those printers that they were fighting over seven or eight years ago are not even, they're obsolete now. You probably can't even buy a cartridge for them. They fought over and were willing to go to jail over something that in just a period of years would be completely worthless. They're probably in a dumpster somewhere in a landfill. But I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that all of that is used to get people's attention so that they might be attracted toward things of this world that will not last forever. I told him in the early service, I'll tell you too, I can remember Christmas 1974. All I wanted for Christmas, okay? All I wanted was an evil Knievel stunt cycle. Do y'all remember those that we crunk them up? Yeah, boy. Man, me and old evil, we had a big time. I remember being so excited. But you know what eventually happened to my evil Knievel stunt cycle? <laughs> I don't know either. I can't find it. It's gone, but I'm sure it's in a gazillion pieces somewhere. But I saw yesterday where they're making them again. You boys, Ray, you excited? We got to get us one in, don't we? An evil Knievel stunt cycle. I mean, you can get you one. They're making them again. But do you know what will eventually happen to the ones they're making today? The same thing that happened to my 1974 model. Eventually it becomes worthless. And if we just set our mind on things that are decaying and worthless, then we miss out on what God's best is for us. See, human beings are prone to set their sights on things that are empty and worthless. Here's what John Phillips said. He said, how often we find ourselves gazing with an ever-growing desire at something suggestive, something sensual, something sinful. We're almost unable to turn our eyes away. Well, is there any help for that problem? Is there help for the man or woman that has their sights set on worthless things that may not be something trivial like a printer or something material, but maybe something that is tempting them towards something sensual or sinful that is evil that will destroy their life. Oh, yes, there's help. We find help with this problem of sinful attraction from the words of a man in Scripture who lost the battle over his own selfish impulses and desires a man after God's own heart, King David himself. Think about David's journey. <laughs> David started out with a bang, didn't he? Young shepherd boy, runt the family, youngest of his daddy's boys, comes over there and slays the Philistine. And man, he is all that. The bag of chips sausage. You don't live over with your daddy Jesse anymore. You live at my house. God anointed him king even before Saul's death. But yet, when we find him at a time of war, when he should have been on the battlefield with his men, he was hanging out at the house. He wasn't just hanging out at the house, but the Bible said that it was an eventide when it was late in the evening, and he'd just been laying in the bed all day long. 
He left himself open and vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy to the point that he didn't even realize it. And at his most vulnerable state, he walks out on the top of the balcony there, and there was Bathsheba. And you know how that story ended. Not only did he fall morally, but he tried to cover it up by committing murder. But in Psalm 51, we read one of the most heartfelt prayers of repentance you'll find anywhere in the Word of God. In verse 10, he cries out to God and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not take me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Oh, I tell you, a lot of people like to beat David up, throw rocks at him, but I want to tell you what, he was faithful to repent. When we read about King Saul, we don't read about moral failure. We don't read about all the terrible things that we read about in David's life. But what we do read about is a man who was too prideful to repent. And when we read about David, we realize that even though he failed, he fell on his face before God. He repented and God restored him. God be the glory. Why did he fall? Because his attention had drifted from God and he was attracted to the worthless things of this world. I, I know what you might be thinking. Preacher, <laughs> that's David. That ain't me. Preacher, David failed, but not me. No, sir, I'm not like him. I, I want you to know what I am. I'm too strong to fall for those tricks. Really? The scripture tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that when a man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. If you think for a moment that what happened to David or what happened to any other person that drifted from God got their eyes on worthless things that caused them to dishonor God would never happen to you. Can I tell you? Chances are you need to get to know yourself a little better. Let me tell you what I know about you, what I know about me, and what I know about every man, woman, boy, girl born under the sun. We've all been born with a sin nature. We've all been born with a sin nature that bends our hearts away from God. You've been born with a focus on yourself from birth. That was in you, it was in me, it's been in any other person. And that sin nature makes you want what you want, when you want, how you want, and you desire for the world to revolve around you and your stuff. That's how you are wired that's how we all are wired but when God overtakes our life when he becomes Lord of all when the spirit of God dwells within us he alone has the ability to bend our sinful nature toward the temporary from the temporary things of this life toward the eternal things of his here's what Charles Stanley said he said, we want to determine our own destiny and gain control over everything within our grasp. We want to know it all, be it all, and have it all. We only seek those things which will bring us immediate gratification and in our totally self-absorbed condition, a state called human pride, we will have no desire for God. 
see, if you're one, per, you're a person that says that's happened to David, it'll never happen to me. It might happen to the guy down the road. It might happen to the lady down the road. It won't happen to me. I want you to hear me today. You've got to get to know who you are a little better because apart from God, you're left to yourself and there's no limit to what depths of sin you might sink into. And that goes for all of us. That's why we need heart to be cleansed so we can focus on what brings glory to God and not just personal gratification. I believe that. When believers have clean hearts yielded toward God, then and only then are we capable of hearing and heeding the voice of God as he speaks to our soul. Here's what the psalmist did. He called on God to revive him. He called on God to quicken him. He called on God to make him alive. And he called on God to give him the renewed focus of what it meant to be a servant. Wow. The psalmist needed direction for the future. So do we. But also he talks about devotion to be faithful in verse 38. Well, it's a wonderful verse. Verse 38. Establish your word to your servant. It means something to be faithful in this fallen world that we're living in today. And if you're going to be faithful, there's some things you're going to have to be certain that are part of your spiritual discipline. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 give us a wonderful picture where James says that we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only because when we do, we deceive our own selves. And then he talks about how people view the word of God. He said those that are just hearers, here's what they do. They take an occasional glance at the Word of God, but it doesn't change anything about them. But the one who is a doer, not just a hearer, he said he takes a long gaze into the Word of God, and it changes who he is. What he literally says is that the Word of God is a mirror to our soul. This morning I went by the mirror, and it looks as though most of you did too. Good. We went by the mirror, and when we went by the mirror this morning, we did for two things. The first thing we went to the mirror for was for inspection. We checked out what we had. Y'all like me? We just did the best we could, right? I ain't got much to work with, and I'm among friends. But anyhow, we're just, we just want you to know that you go to the mirror and you're inspecting. You get your comb out and you get your, your, your toothbrush and all this kind of stuff. You clean yourself up, groom yourself. Because once you make inspection, you have to make correction. And see, that's what the Word of God does. When the Word of God reveals that there is sin, reveals that there is a heart that is bent toward worthless temporary things, that he has to make correction. And the only way he makes correction is for you to not just be a hearer, but a doer. Not somebody who's just occasionally glancing at the Word, but somebody who's taking in a steady diet of the Word. I know people probably get tired of preachers telling you, oh, you got to stay in the Word, you got to stay in the Word, you got to let the Word speak to your heart and soul. And I want to tell you the reason we keep saying it. It's because it's true. If you remove yourself from the Word of God, if you remove yourself from the influence of God the Word and God the Holy Spirit, you are left to yourself and you're no match for the devil. You need this Word to be nourishment to your soul and to give life to your body. I'm telling you, you need this Word. And you need it to reveal what's really there so He can get you right. That's what we need. 
He wants us to be doers. So in order to be faithful, there's two words I want you to know. The first word is affirmation. The psalmist affirmed the power of God's word and his need for the word to effectively operate in his life. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in an age of disrespect and disdain for the word of God. And because we do, we must draw near to God and his word. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe we live in a day, I've been preaching it for over 30-something years now. This March will be 35 years that I've been telling folks Jesus is coming again. For 35, almost 35 years I've been telling folks Jesus is coming again. And can I tell you, I believe it more now 35 years later than I did 35 years ago. At any moment, in, in, in any minute, any hour of any day, the Lord himself could descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ. The grave would give up the dead. And we who are alive and remain shall rise to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, that could be a reality at any moment. And because that could be a reality, it ought to drive us to walk with God, and it ought to drive us to get ready for the coming of God. James said, we're to be patient, establish our hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. There was affirmation, but there was also admiration. See, the psalmist was devoted to live in reverential awe and respect for God, because here's the question. In our world today, this type of admiration from the Word of God is somewhat absent. It's not totally absent, but it is somewhat absent. That in our culture today, a deep respect and admiration for the Word of God and the God of the Word is not very prevalent. So why is this so? Well, there's two things, I think. One is because of a disregard for the sovereignty of God. We, we, as a whole, society today does not believe that God is sovereign, He is Lord of all. And secondly, it's because of disbelief in the reality of judgment. As much as the coming of the Lord Jesus is going to be a reality, the judgment that will follow is also a reality. Today, we get upset because of what we see in the news and media and the way the world's going when we ought not be shocked. Because the world is living as though there is no judgment. But sadly, the church is operating as if there is no judgment. Uh, Peter said that judgment must first begin at the house of God. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that with all of my heart. And because it is a reality and because Jesus is coming, I want to challenge you today to remember the words of Solomon in Proverbs 4.23 where he said to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. That word keep means maintain cleanliness with intention. To be intentional about staying clean before God. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect. Nobody will ever be perfect. But you ought to strive to be right with God every day of your life. To be diligent in something means that you work hard at it and you persevere in it with care and 
attention. We've got to be devoted in order to be faithful. And then there's another thing, verse 39, I want you to notice, is that he talks about deliverance from failure. Psalmist declares his desire to live the holy life God requires of his children. And for his desire to become a reality, he needs God's intervention in his life. I don't know about you, but failure is not something I strive for. I don't believe you do either. Failure is not something that we want to achieve. We do everything we can to avoid failure. Here's what the psalmist said about avoiding his own failure. He said something about a word of reproach. The word reproach is defined as scorn or contempt. He said in verse 39, Turn away my reproach which I dread. See, we're challenged, ladies and gentlemen, to live lives of total consistency as children of God whose lives have been ruled by the Word of God. That's what the challenge is for us every day. And here's what the psalmist did. He asked the Lord to do something. He asked the Lord to turn his heart away from the world so that he would not be a bad testimony of the good grace of God. He wanted there to be clear evidence and that that clear evidence would be displayed from his life before the world that he was completely devoted to God. He wanted to be found guilty of being a follower of the Most High God. When he talked about avoiding being a reproach, you say, you know what, preacher, it's just so hard in this world. This culture is so different. This culture is so hard. And it's so hard to stay true to God when there's so many things that draw us away from him. And when you say that, I realize that you are right. There are so many things. But I'm reminded of what we learned when our study in Daniel this year, that it is possible to remain true to God regardless of what's going on in the culture around you. And Daniel found himself exiled into Babylon. He didn't do anything to be there. He was there because of others' rebellion. But when he got there, he chose to stay true to God regardless of the cost. He stayed true to God regardless of when they said, you're going to eat this meat sacrificed to idols. He said, no, I'm not. They said, if you keep praying, you're going in the lines then. He said, I guess I will. He stayed true to God regardless of what was going on around him. And ladies and gentlemen, can I say to you today that just as Daniel stayed true, you and I can stay true, but here's the difference. He was willing to pay the price, and we must ask ourselves, are we willing to pay the price? He said, God, keep me from being a reproach. Then he talks about a word of rebuke. The psalmist declared that God's judgments are good. He's saying, when you rebuke me, it's for my good. He knew if there's any area of his life that began to dishonor God, it was God who would hold him accountable. Wait, there's that A word, accountable. Most folks don't like that word today because it means that we're going to be held to a standard. You know, maybe today you're in this room. Maybe you're watching my internet today. And God, through the time we've been talking, God the Holy Spirit has pointed out and said, here's some areas of your life where you are wandering and straying. 
And what we tend to do when God the Holy Spirit begins to show us areas of wonder and stray, here's what we do. We begin to deny it. Then we disregard it to the point that we don't want to hear it. Now, if that's true of you today, I want you to remember the heart of this preacher. I don't use this book to point out error without offering a pathway to correct it, reproof. This preacher has not come to throw rocks at you today, but only throw ropes to you to help you. Not to push you under, but to help you up. And if God the Holy Spirit reveals to you through a word of rebuke and judgment upon your life where you might be wandering or straying, it is not a rebuke that seeks to send you further. It's a rebuke that is calling you home. My challenge to you today is, is that as he points it out, Submit and surrender as the psalmist did and said, Oh God, don't let me be a reproach. Then finally, verse 40, I want you to notice. He talks about dependence on the Father. Well, I love this part. Here's a question you got to ask yourself today. Who or what am I totally dependent upon? I've told you. I've lived the last 27 years of my life as a pastor knowing I was one Wednesday night conference away from being unemployed. That I get up on Sunday and tell people stuff they don't want to hear. <laughs> That's not real comforting, amen? But you know what I've learned? Is that I'm dependent on Him. Yes, I love you. Yes, I thank God for you. Yes, I appreciate your faithfulness and your prayers and your support and all the things you offered us. But I must tell you the truth regardless of what it costs me. If I'm not willing to tell you the truth for fear of what it might cost me, I've got to ask myself, do I really love you? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes, I do. So when we talk about dependence, there's two words I want to mention and I'm done. The first word is the word maturity. I like what Johnny Hunt said about this. He said, to have a deep longing for God's truth is the mark of a maturing believer, maturing in the Lord. You know, that's what Paul said to the church at Colossae, that it's our goal, that it's our aim, that we present every believer fully mature in Christ Jesus. That's our heartbeat. That's what being a disciple and a disciple maker is all about, is helping people grow and mature in grace in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not only a desire to know his word, but it's a desire to share his word. Now, I told this in the early service, I'll tell y'all too. I think I said last week, I, I learned so much from my girls growing up. I didn't have any sisters, so it was rather shocking to me to be in a home where there was no boys but me, and uh, even our dog, Mo, she's a girl, and so I didn't have any males around, so I had to learn a new way of living. And here's some things I learned from my girls over the years. I learned a lot of new phrases. I learned what it meant to throw some shade. Y'all throw any shade up there? Y'all know what that means? Okay, y'all help me because I didn't know what throwing shade meant. I mean, I didn't know what, I mean, they had all these different phrases and different words and, and crunk and all this kind of stuff. I didn't know what all that meant. Oh, daddy, that's crunk. Yeah, I mean, well, I was so, but I remember one word they used to say a lot. Kate used to say this more than Kate. She used to say it all the time. Hey, Dad, now that's kind of awkward. Boy, that was awkward. And I, everything was awkward. 
And I remember her saying that word a lot. I thought, man, that must be a new thing. But the guy sang a song earlier in the service. Great are you, Lord. Mark Hall and Casting Crowns, my all-time favorite. That will all, probably always will be. And I got a lot of favorites, but they're just like the cream of the crop to me. But one of the concerts we went to of theirs, and we've been to several over the years, Mark Hall began to talk about a song that they wrote called One Awkward Moment. And it talks about when we get the opportunity to tell people about Jesus, Sometimes we're afraid to because it puts us in a little bit of an awkward position. Even if you're used to talking about the Bible or talking about church and all this kind of stuff, and you've learned all the words, it's still somewhat awkward to make that transition from the natural to the spiritual and begin to stop talking about natural things to spiritual things. It's, and here's what we're often reluctant to do. We're often reluctant to allow ourselves to be put in an awkward position because it may not turn out the way we expect. Now, here's what we do. And here's where Satan really gets us, okay? You don't want to talk about that stuff because you're not a professional preacher. You're not a professional minister. So you might fail. Friend, hear me today. For too often in America, we have based success and failure on the response of people and not on people's faithfulness to tell the story. See, if you are a person who is faithful to tell others about Jesus and invite them to follow him, you are not a failure regardless of the response of your audience. For too often, Southern Baptist line, that's how we determine whether somebody's faithful or not. How much you give, how many you baptize, how many buildings you got, and how many people show up. Nickels and noses, buildings, bodies, and bucks. That's how we've determined success. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what success in the eyes of God is. Will you be faithful to tell the story of Jesus? Will you be faithful to tell others what he did for you? Because here's the mark of maturing believers. is whether or not you're not just embracing and experiencing the word of God, but whether or not you're sharing it. I, I had this real spiritual guy tell me one time, well, I'm not much of a talker. Nope, nope, not much of a talker. I just, I don't tell people about Jesus. I just let them see him from my life. Well, that's fine. But if he's in your life, eventually his word and his truth will come from your lips. And you know what I found out about this little boy? Oh, he was a talker. When we started talking about NASCAR, I knew within four seconds who his favorite driver was. I knew what the man ate for breakfast on race day. No, he was a talker, but he talked about things he was passionate about. Nothing wrong with NASCAR. Don't go on preacher talk about that. No, no, nothing bad about that at all. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I mean, boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's go racing, boys. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm telling you that if you've got a greater passion for anything or anybody under the sun than Jesus Christ, then you have idols in your life that have taken his place on the rightful throne of your heart. got to mature and that's what the church must do mature 
and go tell the story. And then finally, he gives us a word about mercy. Here's what he said. Revive me in your righteousness. Here's what he's saying. Lord, don't just revive me, but remind me. <laughs> remind me to do what? That I might pursue your heart and that I might demonstrate the difference that your righteousness is making in my life. That it would be clearly evident to the world that I am not my own. I live differently because you are in charge of my life. So here's a question. Can we walk this pathway to abundant living? Can we? Can you as an individual walk that path? Yes. Can your family walk that path? Yes. Can this church walk that path? Yes, but there's a requirement to do so. And here's the requirement. Years ago, there was a little girl lived on a big farm in Nebraska, went missing in a wheat field. Parents couldn't find her. People who worked the farm couldn't find her. So eventually the whole community turned out. <clears throat> They searched the rest of that day up until the night until it was evident they were not going to find this girl that night. Called off the search till the next morning at daylight. The next morning at daylight, they gathered together and they prayed. And one of the men said this, why don't we just all line up across this field and join hands and let's walk hand in hand across this field until we find this little girl. Within just a short period of time as they began walking, they found her. But it was too late. It had been barely cold the night before. She didn't show up. After search was called off and the people were assembled and the rescue squad had came and gone the same man stood before that group and he said reckon what would have happened if we had just joined hands yesterday <laughs> might have been real different so here's the requirement based on that story if this church will walk a pathway to abundant living between here and glory, demonstrate the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to join hands and hearts with his heart. Take all of our preferences, take all of our druthers and all our wishy was and the way we always done done it, preacher. Just chunk all that. Say, God, you are Lord. These are my brothers and sisters. It is not about me. It is not about us. But it's all about you. Then, friends, we'll experience the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. Bow with me. Father, in Jesus' name, Thank you so much for the power of your word today. 
I thank you for how it speaks to my heart and reminds me how small I am, how big you are, how sinful I am and how holy you are, how desperately I need your power presence in my life today. Father, I pray for the man, woman, boy, or girl to be here today that realizes through the power of the Spirit and the Word today that they've strayed and they're wandering. May they hear your call to come home. May they no longer live for themselves, but may they live for you. And may they realize that the lifeline of the gospel has been extended today, and may they grab a hold and let you embrace them fresh and new today. God, help us as a church touch this community that they might see our love, our unity, our purpose together, united for your glory that they may see the effect that your righteousness is having on our life and may we never be the same. God, I praise you for the storm that we've lived through this year and we're still living in. Lord, there's times it's been hard to find a word of praise. Lord, there's been times I've thought, you know, how much longer can it go? Lord, I realize it's not in my hands, but it's in yours. And I have to believe and am persuaded to believe that it will be used for your glory. Lord, I love you. I thank you for first loving me. And I pray, God, you receive glory from all that takes place here today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, I want you to look this way for a few minutes before we go. Uh, first and foremost, I know it's different. To close in any service, if there's anything you need from the Lord, if you need to talk to somebody, you need somebody to pray with you, please know we're not rushing you out. We'll be here till everybody's gone. If somebody needs anything from God, I'm here to help you today. Others will do the same. Don't forget that. Don't feel like because we're having to do different format that we're not concerned about your spiritual needs because we are. Don't leave without knowing that you're going to heaven and that as a child of God that you're walking close fellowship with him. <clears throat> Second thing I want to remind you of <clears throat> is I told you Wednesday night we will meet at six children, student and adults. Everybody's at six this Wednesday night. Our offering buckets are at both doors on the way out. Online options are still available as always. Thank you for your faithfulness thus far. May I encourage you to continue to be faithful as we press on to what God is calling us to do. Uh, let's finish up November strong today. Move into December strong next week. Remember those things. And uh, <clears throat> just know that um, regardless of what's going on out there in this world, that Jesus is still Lord. Don't you forget about that. Amen. Don't ever let that be a worry for you. Always remember that he loves you. I love you. There's not a thing you can do about it. Amen. <clears throat> if you haven't picked up your devotional books and you want to pick those up today, there's plenty in the in the Welcome Center. You can get those. And I appreciate your support of that, supporting Hearts Cancer Assistance Program. Brother Marty, come lead us. Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing.